today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Mary's still pregnant, they're still living in Nazareth, and a government command comes in. You know those government directives that we all hate when the government says, you have to have this, and we all rise up and say, why is the government making me do anything? Do you realize that God used a government command, a directive, a very uncomfortable, very untimely command and directive, a very expensive directive and command to get Mary down to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy? So next time we go complaining about the government, maybe we just ought to surrender all that to God. During the Christmas season, the focus is mostly on the birth of Jesus. It's a special time, remembering how Jesus came into the world. But today, Pastor David will focus on the second coming of Christ. Whether it's tomorrow or years from now, you'll be challenged to consider the preparation of your heart. From the deep valleys in life to mountains in your path, the way needs to be straight in order for God to work in you. The Word tells us to prepare the way for Him, but it's up to us to make that move. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Preparing for His Second Advent. Every year around this time, you expect to hear a Christmas message. You expect that if you're going to go to church, somebody's going to be preaching or teaching about the first advent of Christ. And most of those preachings, most of those messages come from either uh, the gospel according to Matthew or the gospel according to Luke. That's where we see most of it, and those two accounts give us the greatest amount of, of detail. In the opening chapters of Matthew's gospel record, we get some of the events that surround that first advent of Christ. Remember, it's in Matthew that we get right off the bat uh, one of two genealogies of Christ. Uh, It's in Matthew that we get the angelic messenger that comes to Joseph, uh, this local carpenter that's engaged to this young maiden. This angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's in Matthew that we find out that after Jesus' birth, he has his visit from the wise men from the east. And about that same time, we realize that Herod has now moved into some real deceitful trickery, trying to find out where this new king of Israel was going to be born. The young family of Joseph, Mary, and and Jesus as a baby, they escape from the deceitfulness and the wickedness of Herod. They go down to Egypt for a while, and as they do that, Herod murders all the young male children in uh, young of age in, in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts. 
And then it's in Matthew that once again we find out that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph go back up and now will begin living in Nazareth. In in Luke's first couple of chapters, we get Luke's version of the Advent and actually uh, a whole different side of it, some some balancing of some of the events that took place. In Luke, we first read about Zacharias, uh, one of the priests who's at the temple, and he's there ministering in the temple. And remember, the angel Gabriel comes to him and announces to Zacharias that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby in their old age. And that baby is not the Messiah, but he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And then following, again, the conception of John the Baptist, to Elizabeth and Zechariah. you got to remember, uh, even Zechariah himself told the angel Gabriel, uh, I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I, I love the tactfulness of Zechariah. Guys, uh, we need to take that into account. Okay, She's just got a lot of history. I'm old, but she's got a lot of history. Okay, It's also in Luke that uh, in his gospel record that he shares that announcement of Gabriel to Mary that she will conceive and she'll bring forth the son. His name shall be called Jesus, and he'll be great. He'll be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. And from Luke, we find that shortly thereafter, and Mary is now conceived of the child, and she takes a visit to her uh, her relative, Elizabeth. We don't know if it's a cousin or what the relationship is. We just know that she's a close relative. And remember, as Mary, as she's just now beginning to carry the baby Jesus, just shortly conceived at that point in time, or just a short time ago, she goes to Elizabeth, who is now about six months in caring of John the Baptist. And as Mary goes and visits her, literally the baby leapt within, you know, jumped within Elizabeth's womb. And, and Elizabeth understood, my, something's happening here. This is, this is something of God. And, and again, you see here the declarations of both Elizabeth and, and Mary at that time, giving praise and glory to God for all that he's doing within their lives. Well, Mary leaves and goes back home. Soon after that, John the Baptist is born. Mary's still pregnant. They're still living in Nazareth, and a government command comes in. You know those government directives that we all hate when the government says, you have to have this, and we all rise up and say, why is the government making me do anything? Do you realize that God used a government command, a directive, a very uncomfortable, very untimely command and directive, a very expensive directive and command to get Mary down to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy? So next time we go complaining about the government, maybe we just ought to surrender all that to God. Okay. Okay, I complain about the government too, so I'm in the same boat. They go down to Bethlehem just shortly after they get there, just like right away. They, they get there and suddenly Mary is giving birth to the child. And literally, I believe that literally as she's giving birth to that child on the hillsides not too far from there, an angel comes and makes an announcement to these shepherds that are simply out there at night keeping watch over their flock. And remember that angelic message, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. That had to be so excited. Suddenly the, the heavens were filled with angels and they were singing uh, glory to God in the highest. Well, after the angels left, the shepherds quickly, they, they got things together and they, they went into Bethlehem not only to visit this young child in the family, but to worship this newborn king. 
It's in Luke where we find that Mary and Joseph, very soon after his birthday, they present the baby Jesus there at the temple. And he, as they're there in the temple presenting the baby and Mary going through her purification rites, we find out that Simeon, an old man that's been staying at the temple, and Anna, a, a woman well advanced in years, uh, is, is there in the temple. And, and both of them were anticipating the birth of Messiah. Both of them were part of a large group within Israel of that time. They they believed what the prophecies had declared. They they believed, they understood that at any moment, at any time, Messiah could come and, and he would be born. That would be his first advent. And Simeon and Anna both, as they saw the baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and through them, they realized who it was. And shortly after that, also Luke tells us that the family uh, subsequently moved on up to Nazareth. Now, if we were to look at the gospel record of, of John, we find that his Advent story actually goes back even further than Matthew and Luke's. He goes all the way back to Genesis. He goes back to in the beginning, the very same words that we read in the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things, catch this, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and life was the light of men. And a little bit later down in that chapter, he says about that very word, the word that was with God, the word that was God, he says that that very word, the logos of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us speaks very clearly of who he is directing this to, the birth of Christ. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All of these passages, in every every one of them that we see, there's this wonderful truth of the greatness and the extent of God's love and the completeness of his plan to redeem fallen man. To redeem us back into that relationship with him for all of eternity. That relationship that was severed there in the garden. Now God sent Christ to come, take upon himself human flesh, to reconcile us to himself. This all speaks of the first advent of Jesus, but none of the gospel records leave it at that, at just the coming of Christ. They each one of us tell us tell us that complete story of redemption. They each tell us again the, the importance of that first advent and that that first advent only makes sense and, and we can only understand it fully when we really know and have hope in the second advent. We, the first advent really without the second advent, without his coming again for us, it's a half complete story. We need to realize, no, that we need to be excited and anticipating, just like Simeon and Anna and like a host of others in Israel of that day. We need to be people who are anticipating the Lord's return at any moment, at any time. There's not a single prophecy that needs to be fulfilled right now for the Lord to come again and take his church out of here. Not a single one. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that the church will be raptured before the full wrath of God is poured out on the earth. Um, if, if you don't believe that, that's okay. You can still be saved. When we're raptured, I'll tell you so. I told you so. But uh, 
I, I believe I believe the word is very clear, but we're not going to get in that study today. Really and truly, his first advent, though, prepares us for his second advent. When he comes again, he's, he's not going to come as a humble little child. No, he's going to come as a reigning king. You see, 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet declared these words. He says that there will come a time where there will be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And you know what? That's what Luke tells us the very message of John the Baptist was. Here in these opening chapters of all of the gospel records, we read of John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes to, to help those at that time to prepare their hearts for the first advent of Christ, to grow in their understanding and to clear up all the obstacles for faith. Fill in all of those valleys, those valleys of doubt and those valleys of fear, to break down all of those mountains, those mountains of self-righteousness and, and pride and arrogance, those things that separate us from the Lord and make a straight path for the Lord to your heart. Uh, that was the message of John the Baptist at that time because his first advent really and truly prepares us for his second advent. As a matter of fact, All that we have before us in his word, both the Old Testament as as well as the New, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, they're written to prepare you and I for his second advent. The calling on my life as as a pastor and as a Bible teacher is to prepare you for the second advent of Christ. That your heart and your life would be ready that when the Lord comes, you'd be ready to meet him. That's, that's a calling on my life. That's the calling of this church ministry and everything that we do ought to be directed toward that end to prepare you to meet God, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Jesus is coming again. Amen. Okay. Most of, well, about a third of you believe that. Uh, Jesus is coming again. Okay, I wanted to make sure we got that recorded. Okay. And I believe that that second coming, that second advent is going to be soon. But my question to you this morning, have you prepared your heart for the way of the Lord? Are you prepared for that time? The words of Isaiah, the words of John the Baptist, man, they speak so clearly and they continue to ring out to us even today here in 2015. Prepare. Prepare you the way of the Lord. In your own life, the situations within your own life. Do you have valleys of fear? Do you have valleys of doubt? Do you have valleys that, 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 that keep you from opening up your heart to the Lord? Do you have mountains in your way that you're filled with arrogance or pride that I don't need God in my life? I don't need to surrender anymore. No, I'm my own individual. I steer my own course. Those mountains need to be brought down low. And the way needs to be made straight for the work of God in each one of our lives. You see, it is second advent, just as Isaiah said, and just as John the Baptist declared, says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And yet the problem is, is when that time comes, the majority of folks that will see that salvation, the majority of folks, 
That salvation that they see will be ineffectual in their lives because they never came to a point in time of preparing their heart to be able to receive him. They'll see the salvation of the Lord, but it won't be a part of their life. That's the importance, again, of our personal response to that first advent, to that first coming of Christ. Christ came. He lived his life here on this earth, and he died as a sacrifice for our sin in order to prepare us for the second advent. As we move beyond the gospel records, we, we find in the writings even of the Apostle Paul these words of love, these words of concern, uh, edification and instruction to one of the churches. It's the church of Philippi, and I'm going to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul clearly explains the, the heart of God and, and the mind of Christ, why, why the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. Here in Philippians, Paul explains to us about the humility and about the sacrifice of Christ that was so necessary with that first advent. Philippians chapter 2, look with me if you would down in verse 5. Paul writes and he tells the church then just as he tells the church now. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, of of a slave, and coming in the likeness of men. You see, this this time of year, again, we, we speak of that humility and the humanity of Christ. How God took upon himself human flesh and was, was born in such lowly, lowly circumstances. He was, he was born in a cattle stall, laid down in a, in a, in a cattle feeder. He didn't come looking like a king, although we know that he was. He came looking like a bondservant, and that's what he was. He was a servant to you and I in giving down his life for us. He came as a slave and as, as a pauper, and yet in reality, he was the master, the creator, the sustainer of all that we know. Not just this earth, not just what we can see and touch, but of all things, both spiritual and material, both earthly and heavenly. He says in verse 8, Paul writes, "...and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further." I mean, just think of that right now, that that God himself humbled himself and came in the form of a man. That would be one thing for God to come down and take upon himself human flesh to reign and rule in the world. You know, I'm really God, but I'm going to come down here and in human flesh, I'm going to work among you. But no, he humbled himself even further as he took upon himself the form of a bondservant. He took upon himself even more humility as he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death even the death of the cross. He could have called a legion of angels to come against all of his accusers, all those that were attacking him. He could have destroyed them all, and instead, he died for them all. You realize the, 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 the paradox in that? He could have destroyed all of his attackers, and yet he died for all of his attackers. Even... When he was on the cross, he cried out in the grief and in the pain and the suffering and the knowledge that his life was going to be taken away at, at any moment. Even on the cross with the pain of the nails and then even still the thorns. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. 
because they are clueless. You know what? That's what he still prays for you and I and for the whole world. You see, John chapter 3 tells us that God loved the whole world, that he sent Christ to die for us because most of the world is clueless. Father, they don't know what they're doing. And that's why it's so important to continue to spread the gospel. That's why it's so important for you to live our lives in the light of the gospel. That's why it's so important for you and I to be able to easily share the truth of the gospel. Maybe you don't know your Bible frontwards and backwards and you have a a whole list of uh, uh, tons of verses. You know what? You ought to know what happened to you if something truly happened to you. Is your heart prepared for the way of the Lord? Then we ought to be those that help others to be prepared too. Jesus went to the death of the cross and he did it out of love for the whole world and he did it out of obedience to his Father. And because of his obedience, there's a great reward both for him as well as for you and I that have come to faith in him. Look what verse 9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All creation is going to declare the glory of the Lord. All creation is going to see the salvation of the Lord. But only for those who took advantage of his first advent and are prepared will it really be advantageous. The rest of them declare it as literally a an eternal death sentence for them. Only those who have come by faith, only those that have been able to, to, to receive the truth of his first advent are going to be able to declare his praise as his bride. And we look for that continual presence with him for all of eternity. For those that refuse to recognize his first advent, those that refuse to avail themselves of the benefits and the blessings of surrendering to Christ as Lord and Savior in their their lives, they have yet to prepare themselves for his second advent. They're not prepared. And the Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, and for them there's no other sacrifice available for sins. But there is this certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour them and all of God's adversaries at that point in time. You say, well, I don't believe that God would punish anyone for eternity. Well, that's not what God's word declares. God's word is very clear. He loved us enough that he sent Christ to die for us. He's revealed himself multiple times over in multiple ways. And yet man continues to reject, man continues to refuse. There's nothing left for them except this fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation that will devour them. You see, Jesus' first advent was to prepare us for his second advent. Are you prepared? There's a story, I don't know how true it is, but it's a story, okay? Story of a king years and years ago. King that reigned and ruled in his kingdom. And he had within his court this uh, this clown or this jester, you know what those guys are. And 
more often than not, this jester would uh, say foolish things and funny things, make everybody laugh. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to TheOpenWord.com, click on the podcast option on the home page, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at TheOpenWord.com. That's info at TheOpenWord.com. When you contact us, let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.